Hello, and welcome to the Vitality Women Leading Audaciously podcast. I am Jennifer Helene, CEO of Purposeful Ventures, devoted to naturally innovative solutions for the realignment of humanity. We believe that stories connect us, dismantling the illusion of separation, causing healing. This interview will be 20 to 30 minutes long, and I look forward to sharing on Common Ground. Welcome to Vitality, Women Leading Audaciously. Today, I'm super excited to welcome my guest, Carrie Seacard. She is the founder of Virtual IP Law, and I'm really excited to meet with her. I think as women, we don't know enough about what's going on uh, with with the law uh, and especially how to protect our own intellectual property. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So she is with us today from um, New Hampshire, if I'm not mistaken, and um, just is, winter is starting to creep in. <laughs> yes, cold days. Um, and I'm really curious to learn more about what led you to study law and specifically why IP. Yes. So my my dad is actually a patent attorney, which so Apple did not far fall far from the tree. I saw him always working on really cool innovations. So to be a patent attorney, you actually have to have an engineering degree or enough engineering credits and then go on to law school and then take a specialized bar exam to be admitted to the United States Patent and Trademark Office so that you can prosecute patents. Um, So he was always learning about new technologies. His specialty was medical devices. Um, Some of the medical devices he worked on were at the cutting edge of minimally invasive surgery, which is routine now, but back in the 90s, it was very fascinating. And I love the idea that he was always learning something new and applying the law to that. And he was able to work from home pretty often, Mm. which was really unheard of back then. So I thought, well, this is great. I love math and engineering. So I got my bachelor of science in electrical and computer engineering and then went on to law school. I'm probably the only 15 year old that had my next uh, nine years (laughs) of my life all mapped out, or at least so I thought I did and uh, went on to engineering school and law school. And I've been practicing as a patent attorney for a little over 10 years now. Mm. And I started my firm in October of 2020. Oh, excellent. That's exciting. Congratulations. A mother of three. Um, and, you know, that's not an easy thing to do, especially when you're raising little kids. For sure. Yes. I was fortunate that um, my significant other at the time stayed home. So mm-hmm. I was able to focus on my career, but there were, uh, I worked in Boston for many years. So the commute was three to five hours a day, Whoa. three to four days a week. Uh, I did that four years overall, and I really have no idea how I did it. <laughs> right. Now, post-COVID, that's like unheard of. No one's going back there. Yeah. you are, at least. Yes. Now, yep. you, you mentioned um, you know, intellectual property and trademarks. Now, a lot of the people listening to this are small business owners. Some, of course, are CEOs of larger companies. But in, if you don't have a legal team, it can kind of feel uh, overwhelming just to file for the patent to um, copyright your intellectual property um, and then to enforce 
um, any of those laws. It kind of feels like a, a relatively large mountain to climb and a lot of unknowns and variables and factors that seem insurmountable. How do you break that down for people? Yes, yeah, so this was uh, one of the driving factors to creating my firm. I wanted it to be a virtual firm so that we would have a much lower overhead so that we could serve some of these underserved clients that for lack of a better term, can be a nuisance for some of the larger firms because they're really just, they're set up to handle a larger volume for the larger clients, which is great. I've worked in that environment. I loved it. I worked on some really cool technology for some very large clients such as Square, mm -hmm. and I absolutely loved it. But it was honestly difficult for us to take on someone who just had maybe one our, one idea or just one name, or maybe a few trademarks that they wanted to file. It just didn't fit into our processes very well. And if it did, we had to charge so much that it was overwhelming, absolutely, for a small business owner. So I love being able to fill that, that void in the market. There are plenty of other firms that serve small companies. But one thing that I think is different about us is we do have a team of seven attorneys. So we have, you know, that group of experience and knowledge base. But because we're a virtual firm, we can operate more efficiently like a smaller boutique firm. So we still give that individualized, you know, contact and we can answer all of the questions that they have and do that handholding, so to speak. We try, try to charge flat fees that are reasonable. We don't have to charge every client the same. We can provide a customized budget, which is one of my favorite things. And we don't try to sell everyone everything. So, um, you know, it can be overwhelming. There's a lot to it. And I think there's a big misconception out there that the only thing you can do with your intellectual property is enforce it. You know, oh, why do I want to sue someone? That's terrible. And that's Yes, that is, you know, there are lawsuits that are filed. There are litigators that are kept very busy in the intellectual property space. I don't do very much of that. Um, I focus more on the prosecution and acquiring patents but the, and trademarks. However, there are countless examples of names and brands that are incredibly valuable. And they're valuable because there is a federal trademark that is filed on them or that there was at some point in time. Same with patents. Um, the most common thing that's done with a patent is it's actually licensed. It's not litigated. It's not ever sued over or fought. You license your technology to someone else, and that becomes a passive source of income. So one of my larger clients, they're in the software space, and they write software for Amazon. So they're kind of one step down from, you know, these, the big clients. And in the software space, there's kind of this, well, let's all exchange ideas. And yes, you know, we want to promote the free flow of information. However, you also want to protect yourself. Um, so let's say hypothetically, they have a client that says, I want you to develop an app for me. And so my client will write all the software. Well, during the course of that, they may invent something themselves, right? So you want to have, at the very least, agreements in place that say, who owns the intellectual property that's related to this? Is it the company that's the client? Is it my client that's the software development company? 
it's just important to have those things laid out before anything goes into place. So there are a lot of companies that maybe don't need a trademark or a patent, but they just need some simple agreements in place as to what happens if they do invent intellectual property. More often than not, that leads to having intellectual property. But I think the biggest thing is to just find someone that will take the time to talk with you instead of just saying, yes, you need a patent on that. Yes, you have to file a copyright. Yes, you have to file a trademark. I met with a very lovely woman a few months ago who had a pamphlet for uh, childhood education. And it was a, it was a great idea, but it was not really something that was would be patentable. I could get her a patent on it, but it would be very expensive and it would be very easy to circumvent. Someone else could just, you know, come up with their own version of it and knock it off pretty easily because it would have to be so narrow to be patentable. And so I told her that she'd be better off going to copyright.gov herself and for $55 registering that pamphlet to at least prevent anyone else from making a direct knockoff. Mm. And it saved her thousands of dollars. You know, it's, I like to analogize myself to an honest mechanic. I think you, have, you just have to find that honest lawyer who's not just trying to sell you a service just to sell you a service, but who's asking you the questions to see, do you really need that service or not? Yeah, I appreciate that because I think a lot of women have these great ideas um, and then someone kind of just snatches it and they do their own thing and they're a little smarter, faster. And I think a lot of women don't actually think that their ideas are worthwhile enough to either patent or, um, you know, or somehow legally claim as their own intellectual property. Have you found that as well? Yes, absolutely. The One of the biggest mistakes that I see people making is they they disclose their idea before they protect it. <clears throat> and you don't necessarily need to consult with an attorney um, I'm sure that some of my colleagues would disagree that you need to have a patent attorney do this. But one thing that you can do yourself, and you need to document this really well, because if you lose the state, you can't get it back. But you can file what's called a provisional patent application. It's a $150 fee for small companies. Mm -hmm. um, if anyone that's in the space may have heard of the napkin provisional, where you can literally just jot down a few ideas on a napkin, take a picture of it and file it. Wouldn't recommend it, but it's better than nothing. So at the very least, you can file that provisional. Take whatever you have. If you have a slide deck and some, um, a few pages of description describing what's going on, if you're going to be presenting or pitching yourself to investors, take all of that documentation, file it as a provisional patent application. You have one year to convert it to a non-provisional. It's basically like a rough draft. Um, I help a lot of solo inventors and small clients that file their own provisionals. Again, it's not the best course of action. The best is to have an attorney help you. But if you can't afford that, if you're a startup, the next best thing is to file your own provisional you, you cannot, that date cannot be extended the one year date and don't wait till <laughs> the one year date to find an attorney. You're going to need a few months, but a few months ahead of time. So that gives you eight to nine months to pitch your idea, to try to find investors. And during that time, you're patent pending and you're protected so that no one else can steal your idea. Mm, it's, it's, it's not enforceable, but at least you're protecting yourself. 
Mm-hmm. That yeah. someone else can't steal your idea. Yeah, that's incredible. And there's so many ideas coming forth these days, even from young people. I know I have a 17 year old daughter and she has a lot of ideas. Um, and I should, I, I think she needs to learn more about these patents, to be honest. Uh, and she's very funny. She's like, I'll share it with you, but I want 5%. <laughs> Okay. She's been doing that since she was 12. I know you've got three kids um, from 10 to 14. Is that right? Yes. That is a, that is a really sweet, sweet time that you're in right now. It is. And um, that was the, uh, so the three biggest driving factors are more time with my parents who are aging, giving clients and employees, obviously, but clients, especially a better place to get their, you know, be served and to not miss any more activities with my kids. I missed a lot when they were younger. Yeah. And we have a family first policy. Um, you know, you can't blow off meetings to go to the beach <laughs> with your friends. But if there's an emergency that comes up, up with your family, absolutely. That's first. And I think it's so ingrained in us that our job is number one. And yes, it is important. Absolutely. We need to meet deadlines and we need to get things done, but your family is at the end of the day, what's more important. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's just so nice being able to give that to myself, but other people, I mean, I provide that environment for we're up, uh, 11 employees now, mm. 12, including myself. And it's just, that's more rewarding than anything else. Mm, that's so great to hear. I love that you've created that for yourself. And I know a lot of the women listening are also looking for a career change. They have an idea. Um, they're not really sure. So hearing that you, you know, did this, uh, when your kids were, I guess they were seven was the youngest then seven to 11. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was really, it took a lot of courage. And I think, you know, sometimes we have to take that leap of faith. I know last year I was like, well, you know, when the new job presents itself, then I'll quit. And it's like, that's just not the way it works. You actually have to take the leap of faith, I think. Absolutely. And I think it's important to forge your own path too. Um, Not everyone operates the same way. Not everyone is happy in the same environment. There There were law firm environments that I was absolutely miserable in that other people thrived in. Not everything is for everyone. I can't tell you how many people told me that I can't do so many aspects of what I am doing right now. So many ways that I'm running my firm because we have a lower overhead. It's basically a win-win-win for everybody. That's great. We don't have to charge as much, which that's great. But for me, I get to give a bigger piece back to my employees is the, the biggest reward. And I can't tell you how many other people giving me advice, quote unquote, told me there's no way that I can give that much of a piece of my pie back away. And so I'm the type of person that just fuels me up. So of course I'm like, watch me. <laughs> I love it. Nice. Nice. And it's, you can't listen to the naysayers just because it didn't work for them. Yeah. Doesn't mean that you can't find a way to make it work for you. Right. Oh, thank you for saying that. Thank you so much for saying that because we oftentimes listen and then get shut down mm-hmm. because uh, it's just not going to, not going to work. And we get these beliefs in our brains that are, uh, t- that take us down. Actually, it happens to all of us. Um, it happens to me. And I think the older I get, the worse it gets um, because we mm-hmm. have these, you know, we have so much information, so many imprints that, you know, we're collecting data and making decisions. It's like, and there's limitations on that. I wish there weren't, but there are. <laughs> yes. Um, I would debate a little bit that yes, family's first, but I think actually your health comes first. 
I've been geeking out on health for like, you know, 30 years now. And I just have to say without my health, um, it, nothing really happens. I can't work. I can't be a mom. I can't do anything. So I love that you brought that up because, so to me, that's part of health. I think getting in good quality family time, um, at least for me. Uh, but I think health first is absolutely the most important. So roughly, um, six years ago, I was, I had not had a vacation in 10 years. Mm. I barely took, I barely took weekends off. I was working in downtown Boston. So I was leaving my house at three 30 in the morning and getting home at eight at night, four days in a row. Um, and I was just, <clears throat> excuse me, burning the candle at both ends. I was lucky if I was sleeping four to five hours a night, mm. just overdid it. And I actually, um, was diagnosed. I developed a stress related heart condition. Oh my gosh. Um, and you were yeah, young. So, you were yes, young. very young. I was gosh, 30, 32, 33 at the time. Um, mm. so it was actually right around Halloween of 2016. And, um, I was hanging out with a group of friends and all of a sudden my heart just started racing incredibly fast. I couldn't get it to slow down ended up having to go to the ER. Um, it was resting heart rate of 200 beats oh. per minute, which is usually like a, someone who's vigorously exercising. They tried everything to get it to slow down and it wouldn't. So they ended up having to pump me with this medication called amiodarone, mm-hmm. which it worked, which is good, but it <laughs> basically slows your whole body down <laughs> um, for a few weeks. It was very challenging recovering from that. Mm. Thankfully, the toughest part for me were my children were very young then. My youngest was, I believe, four. Um, so I was in a hospital bed for two weeks, had to have someone else take them trick-or-treating, you know, missed all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, they tried to do a procedure to correct it, and they basically determined that it was stress-related. Oh Wow. Um, was the number one cause. So I take medication now. I have to remember to take um, a beta blocker three times a day. And if I don't take it, I can feel it coming on. I have to be really healthy. I have to be careful about how much caffeine I have. I was having eight to 10 cups of coffee a day. Wow. Not every day, but you know, on some days it wouldn't be uncommon to have five or six every day. Mm. Um, And so just when I see other people burning the candle at both. It's just not sustainable. And I just, I'm fortunate, you know, there are people who had massive strokes or massive heart attacks, unfortunately, especially in the legal field, it's pretty common. It's a stressful situation. And so I had to take a step back. I prioritize sleep. I actually eat primarily vegetarian because of my heart condition. Um, I just feel much healthier when I do that. And it's, I'm so much more productive. You'd mm. think you'd be less productive because you have less hours in the day, but the hours that I'm working, I'm so much more productive. Absolutely. So I'm so glad you touched on the importance of health. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And I was going to ask you how you maintain your vitality, but it sounds like you take time out to do exercise, to eat right, to make, you know, homemade food. I'm, I, I assume. Um, I'm actually very fortunate. There is a wonderful plant-based chef who is a very good friend of mine. And she, in June, started a home-based meal service. So I get these amazing, they are chef quality, five-star 
mm. plant-based meal. I literally feel like I'm eating in a five-star restaurant amazing. <laughs> every day and they're absolutely amazing. So, yeah, so, so lucky. I can't tell you the countless clients that I've had over the years internationally, and they have had to learn how to cook, learn how to love cooking really. Um, Cause that could be a steep gradient for people to, <laughs> to have to learn. Yes. If, and I'll, if I can put a little plug in for her, her name is chef Lauren and she does do a kitchen mindset lab for teaching people how to cook healthy at home. Nice. I love chef it. Lauren's table. And she is just, she's a, another phenomenal um, female business owner. So, mm, so exciting. So and so are her recipes considered IP just out of curiosity? So recipes uh, could be copyrightable. The interesting thing with recipes is that you only need to change three ingredients and then it's considered your own. Mm -hmm. So someone really has to copy basically exactly mm -hmm. um, your recipe. Mm -hmm. We do help people with filing copyrights. Truthfully, it can get expensive when you bring an attorney in. And <clears throat> unless it's something that's really you know, your most important signature recipe or a book that you're putting out. Most of the time, it's something that most people will prefer to do themselves. Just going through copyright.gov, you just, it's a very simple process. You upload your work of art. It only costs $55 versus, you know, 500 to a thousand per piece of work if you go through an attorney. So all comes down to business owner preference you know, do you want the Ferrari of copyrights? Or are you okay with the Vespa? I mean, <laughs> both will get you from A to B. Oh, very good to know. Yeah, that's really helpful. And so you have this plant-based chef, which is incredible. <laughs> and then did you think you created a heart like problem now? Like you actually damaged your heart? Yes. Yes, I think so. It's actually, believe it or not, I have two or three other um, professionals in the legal or intellectual property space. One of them actually developed what's called broken heart syndrome, which is a stress relie related heart condition. And I know someone else that had a massive stroke, um, primarily due to stress. And now, because um, we've had several conversations about prioritizing exercise and your health and well being. And for me, um, I schedule my me time every week. Um, yeah, I'm all about, you have to fill, you can't pour from an empty cup no. and you can't rely on anyone else to fill your own cup. So you need to do activities that fill your own cup. Mm. So mine is, um, I have a communication coach nice. I, that I call on as needed for, I went through a whole program with her. She literally changed my life. Mm. I still see a therapist every other week. Mm. And I get a massage every other week. Oh, I love that. Like a deep tissue. Yes. I love that. I need one of those. <laughs> I just moved and I'm like, I need my new massage person. <laughs> I really yeah. miss it. That was the next question I was going to ask you is how do you, you know, refill your cup? And there you go. So you've got um, your self-development work, your self-actualization work, um, and then your body work, which is, which is just phenomenal. I love that you call that a communication coach. I think that most of us take our health for granted until there's a problem. Um, and a lot of people take their relationships for granted until there's a problem. And we don't understand the impact of our words and the intention behind those words. I mean, I can, I can understand why your life changed. I, I've had to focus so strongly on my communication style, still do even today, because it, it, it's, it can go off so fast. 
Exactly. And it's, it's hard to break those cycles that are wired into our brain. So if you can find, it's possible to rewire them, Yeah. Um, you practice. know, reboot, reboot your operating system. It takes, it takes practice, but it's something that awareness is half the battle. Mm-hmm. So, um, so she helped. What's funny is I've had a few different therapists and they've been helpful for me for specific situations, but not at really reframing the way that I think about things. And I've had a few coach uh, therapists that said, you have abandonment issues. And every one, I'm like, that's crazy. I don't have abandonment issues. No one's ever abandoned me in my life. My parents are still, they're 81 years old. They're still together. They've been together since they were 13 years old. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) Love that. And finally, through working with my communication coach, we realized that it was not this big, massive abandonment that ever happened in my life. It was that my dad has severe ADHD. He can't sit still for five minutes. So he would just get up and disappear all the time. And it could be for a few minutes at a time. It could be for hours. He would never say when he was coming back. He would never tell me how long he was going to be long for gone for. And he had done it my whole life, so I never really thought much about it. And all of a sudden, as a grown woman in my 30s, I was visiting them. And, you know, my coach and I had been working through this. And I was visiting them, and I was doing some work. I was working on my laptop. My dad was working on his. We were in the same room. All of a sudden, I looked up, and he was gone. And I felt myself getting really tense and really anxious and looking around for him and wondering where he was. And this light bulb went off. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's the abandonment that I've had issues with. Mm. And that's why, so my whole life, I've always wanted to know where people are. Where are you going? Where are you going to be? And it comes off as controlling when really it was, it had nothing. I don't care where you are, how long you're going to be. I just want to know because it triggers an anxious reaction in me when I don't know where people are. And so it was just phenomenal to me that going through that work, because she kept pushing me on, you have, you know, there's something going on that's giving you the same abandonment fear. And I kept pushing back, telling her she was crazy. (laughs) But that pushback was exactly what I needed. And no, it wasn't anything that was Obvious, yeah. Obvious. Hanging fruit. Wasn't this huge traumatic? I mean, it's literally sounds silly even saying it out no, loud. No, it doesn't at all. I think we all but, have these things. But it all connected everything. And as soon as I was aware of why I felt that way, it made it so much easier to process and to figure out and to rewire that. Okay, I don't need to know where everyone is all the time. You know, yeah. It's okay. These people aren't going to just up and leave too, just because someone else did. And, you know, this is just who dad is. It's okay. He just kind of disappears. He's going to come back. He always comes back. He's like aloof um, a little bit, you know, kind of just like in his own, in his own world. Yeah. So <laughs> with my kids, I'm probably too much on the other extreme. I'm like, okay, I'm going into the bathroom and I'll oh right back out. <laughs> I'm like, mom, like, okay. <laughs> 
really cute. I mean, come to find out, I grew up in a relatively um, verbally volatile environment. I had no idea until I got married in my first marriage. And it was like, well, my only marriage. And it was, you know, it was really... Um, it was really eroding to the relationship, but I actually couldn't see it because it was at, it's like the the air I breathe, you know, um, mm -hmm. I didn't really get it, but I learned, you know, it really taught me a lot. Um, and so I, I, I just want to encourage everyone who's listening um, to just be aware of how your words are impacting other people, the tone, the choice of words, um, and what you really mean when you say those words. Oftentimes I'm saying things and I'm actually being passive aggressive, or we're saying things and we're being critical, or we're saying things and it's not loving or kind. Um, it's really our responsibility to get ourselves worked out. That's why my conscious movement practice has just been such a powerful asset for me. Because I'm able to kind of get that out. I'm actually a little hoarse today because I was like expressing a lot of frustration in my movement practice yesterday. <laughs> you can hear that in my voice, right? <laughs> uh, well, you sound great to me. But um, I think the other thing too is just breaking those cycles. If you're hearing the same thing. So for me, I kept hearing that I was being controlling in relationships that I was in. And that wasn't true. That wasn't resonating with I wasn't trying to control anyone. Mm -hmm. So I think working through that, why are people, why do people think I'm being controlling? It's because I need to know where they are. Why do I need to know where people are all the time? I'm not a controlling person. So I think understanding that and loving yourself through it, having the acceptance and compassion. I think that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing what those triggers are. And there's a lot of incompletion. It's a word I use a little bit coach jargony, but there's a lot of incompletion, you know, like when somebody wronged us, betrayed us, or and otherwise um, did something to us that we either understood correctly or misunderstood. Regardless, we still have those triggers, those reactions. Um, and we all have them. I mean, your story and my story, they're just like reminders. Um, there's probably a dozen or two people listening that, that have exactly those. And and other people listening who have completely different ones, but get curious folks, dig a little bit deeper to find out um, because life is not transactional. And the intention that we have when we speak means everything. I was reading this weekend about something called the Omni will. I've never heard that term before. Have you heard Omni will? I have not. It's really interesting. It's this book that, and it's one of those books, you know, I don't know how I found it, and you can't find it again. And it cost a lot. And it was in some random bookstore and it's not particularly fancy, but apparently it was Noah's teacher from the, the Noah, you know, Noah's Ark. Yeah. And they were talking about uh, the Omni will as um, that, which we, which we think and speak is the, uh, the initial phases of what we're creating or what we're willing into our life. That's mm -hmm. what he called as the Omni will. It's that powerful folks come to find out. It's that powerful. Um, makes sense to me, actually, just when you think about things in the energetic form, intangible as it is, it makes sense. Absolutely. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from Henry Ford, which is, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Mm, right. I know that. I know that one. That's really, really good one. And also <laughs> a big theme, I think, for me has been around power uh, in relationships and I've noticed that some of the, my language patterns will, will put power over others. And that's not healthy. That's not what I want. That's not what I'm committed to. So I've had to really be diligent with myself around um, language regarding, you know, power and power over. It's really interesting. 
Yeah, I think it's important to set boundaries. And I think that can come sometimes be misconstrued as power, as mm -hmm. trying to yield power when you're just trying to set boundaries for yourself. So that can definitely be a fine line that I've been trying to master. Yeah, and I think nonviolent communication has been a great teacher for me. I don't know if you're familiar with that uh, methodology. And I wonder if that is even um, trademarked mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's a really excellent system, I find. Um, and that really, whenever I use that technology, I find that people respond well to it, really well. Excellent. Yeah, it's amazing when I set boundaries with that because it's about my needs and things and how I feel. And, you know, it's not like when you do that, <laughs> I have a boundary. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Sorry. You got to be funny because it can get heavy. <laughs> cool. and I just wanted to touch on one thing that I, when we were talking about intellectual property before um, so that your listeners can take this nugget away, Please. the nonviolent communication. So there are a few questions I always ask people um, in terms of, do I want to file a trademark on my logo, my name, my slogan, whatever it may be. So a um, couple of things. One, this is going to be my first question because there was actually a recent case law that just came out that said any slow, well, this has been debated, but now it's kind of really set in stone. Any slogan that you make can also be construed as an advertising claim. Oh. So if I wanted my slogan to be the best intellectual property firm in the country, I need to have something that actually substantiates that, or it could be considered a false advertising claim. So I want to make sure people know that any slogan they're picking needs to be somewhat factually based. I love that. That's really helpful. And has a lot of integrity. Yes. Um, the, the one that's actually being um, contested right now is Bar Barilla, Barilla, Barilla. I'm probably saying that wrong, the Italian uh, pasta. So their slogan is Italy's number one pasta brand. And it actually has absolutely nothing to do with Italy whatsoever. So that's going to be interesting to see <laughs> how that one comes out. Yeah, um, fascinating. So the and the other questions I always like to ask real quick are just, um, are you in one location? So are you only operating in one state or maybe one small region? Or are you planning to or are you already operating nationwide? Do you have a website? Are you advertising? Um, are you like me where you can provide services all over the United States? Or are you a family law attorney that can only operate in New Hampshire? Um, if you are going nationwide, you should probably consider a trademark. Then the next question, the next layer is how upset would you be if someone took your name? So if someone else tried to operate a virtual IP law in California, I would be pretty upset because I can still serve clients in California, but there are some people that don't care. So maybe they're only on the East coast and they don't ever want to try to enforce it. Um, on the West Coast, so they would be fine with someone else having the same name as them somewhere else. If you're fine with it, then it's probably not worth your time and money to file a trademark. If it is your baby, if that brand is like your child and that name would be the end of the world, if someone else copied it or was using something the same or similar, then you probably want to consider filing a trademark. Excellent. And that is one thing that I do not recommend you do yourself. 
um, trademarks are very confusing. They're so. so confusing. I tried. I was <laughs> like, this is so overwhelming. Like, I definitely needed help. So if people wanted to get some information, um, learn more about their intellectual property rights and trademark potentials, um, where should they reach out to you? What's the best way? Yeah, so the best way to reach out to me is either on LinkedIn uh, by my company page or my name. You should find me if you search Carrie Seacard. Or you can go on our website, virtualipllc.com. We have a link for a free 15-minute consultation, and all my contact info is there as well. Excellent. So for those of you who are just listening, you just heard it, virtualiplaw.com. Is that right? virtualipllc.com. LLC. Yes. And then uh, we'll have all the information in the show notes, but I know a lot of you listen to this show on the go. So I always like to add that um, in just in case um, case you're doing the dishes or driving. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for imparting your wisdom and your stories um, and your genuine heart here on, on, on the show today. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Vitality Women Leading Audaciously. Please contact me if you're interested in cultivating more vitality at jennifer-helene.com on the contact page. If you know this episode would be of value to your community, please share it on all of your social media channels. Maybe you are a successful working mom who would like to share your story on this podcast. Please visit podcast.jennifer-helene.com backslash podcast dash guest to apply. And you might know someone who would be an ideal guest. If so, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Vitality Women Leading Audaciously. I absolutely love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It mean a lot to me and my team in getting the word out about how to realign humanity with purpose. Purposeful Ventures is a company that is helping moms succeed in revitalizing their lives, relationships, businesses, and health. Please join a more personal conversation by working directly with me, joining my private Facebook group or one of my programs. This is Jennifer Helene, and thanks for spending your precious time with me.